Hello. Hi. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Lee's super attractive this morning. <laughs> so, so, so. so just to let you know a bit of my, my history as far as preaching, I've got a very similar qualifications of theology as Lee. We went to Bible college together as, as a married couple. Lee's done further theological uh, training than what I have, but, but kind of similar. I've worked as a pastor in other churches and in the ministry in the past, so I'm not just a pretty face, although, you know. I mean, as, as you get older, you can kind of say stuff like that, can't you? Middle-aged woman can kind of say stuff like that and get away with it. So um, I just want to add to what was said about Roz this morning. I think she's ducked out, but one of the things that wasn't mentioned this morning is her incredible musicianship, and I got to work with her last year at a, both our Easter outreach and our Christian uh, Christmas outreach, and oh my goodness, that woman is so incredibly humble. She was there with a the group. She was the most experienced musician. She was being led by a music director who was 20 and 21. And yet she totally, what do you want me to do? How can I be part of this? And both those times were extremely difficult periods in her life. Um, at Easter, she was going through chemo. At the Christmas one, she, uh, her, her dad's health was failing. But she was so faithful and such an incredible, incredible woman of God, and we are the better for having known her. So she's not here to hear that, but we will all get to say that to her later. Now, one of the reasons that I love the Bible so much is that it's so incredibly honest, and we saw, heard that, a bit of that story. I think you, you left out quite a few verses at the end there, but uh, it was a very long, long group that um, to read there. But... This story is amazing because we've just seen a great time in Elijah's life and now we're seeing not so great time in Elijah's life. And the Bible is very honest like that. It tells stories about good people who do bad things. It tells stories about bad people that do good things, good people doing good things, great times, bad times, all the complexity of humanity. And there is a very good reason why the Bible is so honest. And I want to read to you a, a verse here, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now, um, Paul has just given a really brief history of Israel. They're ups, they're down. It's kind of like the TikTok version, or if you're really old like me, the YouTube short version of, of Israel's history going up and down, great times, bad times. And then he writes these words. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. These things are written in the Bible as warnings to us to have a look at these great men and women, to have a look at these bad men and women, and that they can be warnings to us. So if we think we're standing firm, just be careful that we don't fall. So last week we heard the story about Elijah, the man of God, and it was one of the most awesome stories in the Bible, and not just in the Bible, in, you know, history. Incredible story. This man of God stands up in front of 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. He challenges them to a duel. He says, let's both get big piles of wood and we'll call down fire from heaven and the God who answers, he's the one true God. 
And here he is amongst all these people that hate him. The prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah, go absolutely berserk. They start cutting themselves. They start screaming. They're dancing around. And nothing happens because Baal is not the one true God. And then Elijah stands up. He, he drenches the wood with water. And then he calls down fire from heaven. What a story. And if you were writing a movie... Solomon, if you were writing a movie, you would end it there, wouldn't you? That's the big culmination. That's the finale. That's the big end of the story where God comes down and answers by fire. Israel turns their back on Baal and Asherah and they start worshipping the one true God again. But the story doesn't end there. And it goes on. And this is, again, why I love the Bible. Because actually life is like, not like that. We have big endings and it doesn't actually end. Then life goes on. So, very shortly after this, we read that Elijah is huddled under a bush and he's wanting his life to end. And we heard from uh, that reading earlier that Elijah was there. He was, he was just saying, Lord, I, you know, take my life. I, I want to die. And I just want to flag that up for you. We're not going to dwell on that but that will be brought up this morning. So if that's, you know, something of a bit of a trigger for you this morning, just, just be aware that we will go there, but he doesn't stay there. So we want to have a look this morning at how this amazing man of God went from this great victory to being completely defeated and discouraged. And I want to have a look at how he got there and then how he came out of that. So I want to explore five things that will rob us of our spiritual passion. Now, I'm going to try to do this without my glasses. I'm in this really awkward age at the moment when my eyes are starting to fail. I can read stuff, but I kind of have to stand back here, but then I can't see you guys if I leave my glasses on, so just, just putting it out there. So, now uh, let's go back to verse 1 of that scripture. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So the first thing that will rob us of our spiritual passion is negative words. Negative words. Now, Elijah's life had been in danger that very day. You cannot tell me that he was not in more danger when he had all those prophets around him that if God didn't answer from fire, by, by fire, you know, Jezebel would have had no hesitation in killing him and she had all the people there backing her up. But at that stage, he wasn't afraid. He was just standing firm. He was just doing what God was calling him to. But the second he felt spiritually defeated, those negative words just came in and just devastated him, and he ran away. So when we're on a spiritual high and we're spiritually close to God, people can say stuff to us and we can just move on quickly from that. We can, you know, shake it off, haters gonna hate, we're just gonna keep doing the things of God. But then second we become spiritually depleted, those negative words can absolutely gut us and rob us of our spiritual passion. 
Like, let's be honest, we can all be negative sometimes, but we do need, if we want to keep our spiritual passion alive, we do need to be careful and wise about who we surround ourselves with, that we are around people that are going to encourage us, that are not going to drag us down. And conversely as well, we need to make sure that by our words, we're not robbing people of their spiritual passion. And it's very easy to do. Someone might be like, oh my goodness, that was such an amazing time this morning at church. And they go, yeah, but you know, this, you know. And then suddenly they're like, or you're like, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be that excited. Maybe I shouldn't be that passionate. And, and it starts to erode our spiritual passion. So the first thing that can rob us of our spiritual passion is negative words. And it goes on to say, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. The second thing that will rob us of our spiritual passion is fear. And if you have ever been overcome by fear, you know that it will rule you and control you. If you've ever had that panic, that anxiety, that fear fill you. And this man of God, like I said, had just been in one of the most terrifying experiences that I can think of. You know, I would be absolutely, you know, that's a really scary situation that he'd been in, standing before all those demonically possessed prophets of Baal going crazy and being the only one there that believed in the one true God. And he had to rely on God for fire from heaven. And at that point, he wasn't afraid. But when you're spiritually depleted, he was suddenly completely overcome and swallowed by this fear and he couldn't remain in the situation. And if we allow fear into our lives, it will rob us of our spiritual passion. It will make us be afraid to do anything for God. And it is just, if you've been there, you know, it's a horrible, horrible place to be in. It's, it's awful. And it goes on to say, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. So the third thing that will rob you of your spiritual passion is isolation. And here we see Elijah in a terrible predicament. He's, he's freaking out, you know, he's emotionally just not coping. And he does the one thing that he should never do. He isolates himself. And as people, that is our gut reaction. And I don't know for you, but for me, after 2020, when the, the churches all, all closed and stuff like that, that kind of reset and made this point easier for me. Because up until that point, it had always been my heart. I would never miss church, whether I got there in my pyjamas or whether, <laughs> whether I dragged myself there. But after the reset, like in 2020, 21, I think this one has even become a bigger challenge for us because some of those habits that even when we don't want to, it was part of our habit to always be around the people of God and always meet together, uh, we've, we've broken those habits. So when we feel spiritually depleted, it then becomes even easier for us to isolate our, ourselves. But if we isolate ourselves at such a time as this, you know, we'll find ourselves going deeper and deeper and further into that darkness. And it's just shortly after that Elijah leaves his, his trusted servant that we see him hit rock bottom. But one thing happens before that that I want to draw your attention to. It says, 
while he himself went off a day's journey into the wilderness. And later on, we read that when he gets there, he just falls asleep. The fourth thing that will rob you of your spiritual passion is physical exhaustion. This guy was absolutely physically exhausted. And if you read the chapter before, you see that he's just run this marathon alongside Ahab. And there'd been a drought over Israel. And he was eating flour and oil. And that kept him sustained. It kept him alive. But it's not exactly, you know, healthy food, like good healthy food. He was absolutely physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted. And sometimes when we neglect ourselves physically... We, it can have a big impact on us spiritually. I'm a bit, um, it's not like a man, but like if I get a cold, like the world just seems like a terrible place, nothing ever is going right, you know, because my body is spiritually weak. It doesn't have to rob us of our spiritual passion, but it can, and we need to be aware that oftentimes our physical, our physical needs as well need to be looked after in order to keep our physical, our spiritual passion alive. Now it goes on to say, he came to a broom bush and sat under it. I'm sorry, every time I read broom bush, I imagine those big <laughs> I don't know, but it always pops in my head. But, but I shouldn't have said that because it's actually really serious. Uh, he came to a broom bush and sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid under the bush and he fell asleep. Now, the th fifth thing that will rob you of your spiritual passion is discouragement. And I want to read you a definition of discouragement. Discouragement is the feeling that everything is wrong and that nothing will turn out well. Discouragement is the feeling that everything is wrong and that nothing will turn out well. If you felt like that, that discouragement where you feel like, you know, everything in my life is just like wrong and I'm not going to be able to get out of it. Everything's going to be bad. You know that feeling. But you listen to what Elijah is saying here. He's saying, I'm no better than my ancestors. I mean, who's telling him that? He's, he's saying that I might as well not keep living. You might as well take my life, Lord. I just want to die. But who's telling him that? Who's saying that you have to be better than your ancestors? Who's comparing him to that? Who's saying that it's not worth going on? It's not the Lord that's speaking these words to Elijah. It's Elijah that's speaking these words to Elijah. And when you experience discouragement, it can pull you down. It can make you believe a lie. And it brings you to the point of wanting to give up on everything and sometimes unfortunately even life itself it skews our minds and our thoughts and we start to see things through this negative prism that that we've constructed around ourselves and a whole worldview becomes distorted with what we see so recapping five things that will rob you of your spiritual passion negative words fear isolation physical exhaustion and discouragement. Now, like I said, this topic is a, one that's really relevant to me at the moment and one that's resonating with me right at this point in my life. But I want to take you back in time to another time when this was really relevant 
to me because I kind of know the outcome of that that story. I don't know what my story now is going to be. But I want to take you back then. So it was back when Zach was first born. Like, everyone turn around and look at Zach. He's on the camera. He's now 13 years old, nearly, nearly 14. So he's a big guy now. But when he was born, so he's our youngest of four, he was premature. So he was teeny tiny. He, he was so cute, like, he, he looked like a long-necked turtle, because you know how, 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 well, you know how babies are generally roly-poly, and they don't have necks, because they're kind of, like, big, and, and, but because he was so skinny when he was born, like, he had this long neck, and his head was the size of a tennis ball, and he was super cute, but it did mean that he required extra work, and he was my fourth child, our fourth child, and um, I've spoken to other families of large, larger families, and they all agree, we all agree, that when you have the first couple, you get a lot of sympathy and a lot of help. By the time you have the fourth, people are thinking, A, well, you knew what you're doing, so just you're going to have to live with it, or B, that you're some sort of earth mother that's absolutely able to cope with juggling many children and things. Well, I simply was not that, that person. And so I really struggled in that time. And, and uh, uh, like on top of that, I was also really physically sick when, when Zachy was born. In fact, I got to see him for the first couple of seconds after he was born and then I wasn't even able to see him for the next 24 hours because I was so sick. And I came home and I had the three other kids and I was feeling completely overwhelmed. And it was... You know, it was a tough time in my life, and, and if you're a mother of young kids, it's, it's, a, it's always a tough time anyway. I was also quite isolated, because uh, we didn't have family in Melbourne. My parents came over for a short period of time, but they had to go back home. And logistically, just to get anywhere with four kids was completely overwhelming and exhausting, and it was a nightmare, and so I just didn't do it. So I became more and more isolated. It was at this point in my life when a, a man from our church um, said that he had a word from God why God wasn't moving in power in our community, and he wanted to share that with me and, and with some others. And he said that that word from the Lord was very specific why God wasn't moving, and that was because of me. So, <laughs> I know... I know, it was, it was a lot, and as a pastor's wife, you do get some funny things said to you at the time, but that, that was a lot at that point in my time. I don't know what he thought I was doing, because literally at that point in my life, if I brushed my teeth and I put on a bra in the one day, that was a really good day for me. Like, that was self-care, clean teeth and well-supported, and, you know, that, that was a good, good day. Uh, so I don't know what he thought I was doing when I was at home, like, you know, like Jezebel plotting to overthrow the Holy Spirit in the, in the area. But when I asked him, well, what is it that I'm doing? He said, oh, it's not what you're doing, it's just you. It's just your presence. Well, I don't know what you're supposed to do, do about that. Um, now, if I was really close to the Lord at that time and, and spiritually up and, you know, physically refreshed, I, I you know, stuff like that is always going to hurt. But I would have been able to move on from that. But at that point in my time, I, it absolutely crushed me. I was completely devastated. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. And the worst thing became was that this man's opinion, I started to think that everybody thought that. 
So everywhere I went, I further isolated myself because I'm thinking, oh, people are thinking this, this about me. And then the very, very worst thing was that then in my head it started to think, what if God thinks this about me? What if God thinks this about me? What if he's saying, yeah, you know, I would move in power, but sorry, you're there, so, so I'm not going to do that. And it made me really difficult to even, you know, find that solace of that, that time with God. I don't know if you have ever been in a position like Elijah where you have just felt uh, so discouraged. I know that, you know, you may not have been down into that depth where Elijah has, or maybe you have, but all of us at times have felt this slide into, you know, losing our spiritual passion. But I just want to encourage you that Elijah didn't stay there. I didn't stay there either because the Lord is in the business of restoring our spiritual passion, coming alongside us, loving us back into this wonderful journey that he has for us. So we've looked at five things that will rob us of our spiritual passion. Now I want to start to look at five things that will help us journey back to restoring our spiritual passion. Now, the passage continues. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and jars of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. So the first thing that the Lord did for Elijah, and I love this, was that he restored him physically. He could see, you know what? You just need some food and you need some really good rest. And we cannot neglect our bodies because sometimes we are spiritually worn out because our bodies are completely worn out. We need some decent food. We need some decent rest. And that's tough sometimes to, to even get that. But we do need to accept the fact that, that oftentimes uh, our physical bodies do affect us spiritually. So physical refreshment. Then it goes on to say, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, where he went into the cave and he spent the night. The second way to restore your spiritual passion is to simply get with God. And you know, when I feel under spiritual attack, I loved what you shared this morning, Alicia. But I don't, sometimes when I feel under spiritual attack, the very first thing that I do is not spend that time with God, not spend that time in worship and withdraw from him. And it's so stupid because you know that's what you've got to do, but you don't. And it's simply one of the things that we have to fight the hardest for because it would be one of those things that will disappear from our lives in an instant if we let it. So simply get with God. And it goes on to say, And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down their altars. They've put their prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The third step to restoring our spiritual passion is to be honest with God. To be honest with God, we, we kind of, sometimes we get it into our heads that we can only approach God when we're feeling that thankfulness and that praise, 
We need to come to him wherever we are and be honest with him. And Elijah, in this instant, was 100% honest with God. He was completely and totally honest with God. But he also was completely and totally wrong in what he was saying. Because actually, he wasn't the only one. He'd simply learnt, like just a short time before, that Obadiah had hidden a hundred prophets away. So he knew he wasn't the only one. He knew it. Like he could have just, you know, if he, I know his life isn't is a book, but, you know, he could have flicked back to the chapter before and seen that he wasn't the only one. So he knew he wasn't. But I don't think God had a problem with that because that's exactly what he felt like in that time. And that's exactly what we feel like sometimes. I'm the only one. I'm the only one going through this. This is all, you know, it feels, you feel very isolated. And although it's inaccurate, we're, we're expressing honestly to God how we feel. So I'm not talking here about just whinging to God, saying, oh God, why don't you do anything good for me? But, you know, sometimes we, we can honestly say to God, God, I've served you faithfully. And yet I see people that have all this sin in their life and they seem to be being blessed. Like, what, what is that about? And you know what? The Psalms, they are, again, the Bible is amazing how honest it is. There is so often in the Psalms when, when David or one of the other Psalmists start off with, oh, how long, God? How long until you answer? Or why are the wicked prospering? They seem to be getting on fine while I'm here suffering. But by the end of that psalm, God has turned their questions into praise. And that's because I think we need to be honest with God. Now, it keeps going here. It says, The Lord said, Go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper, and when Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face, and he went and stood at the mouth of the cave. The fourth way to restore our spiritual passion is to experience God, and nothing will restore our spiritual passion more than this, like it's like if you experience God, that will, you know, really kickstart your your love for Him. Now you see here that He came to Elijah in the gentle whisper. He doesn't always come in the gentle whisper. Like the the chapter before, He came in fire, and that's how how Elijah needed Him right then. But in this situation, it wasn't appropriate for God to come in the, in the fire. He wasn't in the fire. He came in the gentle whisper. Elijah had experienced his power. He'd experienced his awesomeness. And now he needed to experience his gentleness and his mercy and his compassion. And when we get with God and when we're honest with God, he will reveal himself and allow us to experience him in a way that we need it. And we need to look out for that. We need to look out for that. Because at that point, God wasn't in the fire this time. And Elijah had to listen to that, for that gentle voice. Now, 
a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put the prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. You see, it's exactly the same words, but after experiencing God, I, you know, in my mind at least, he says it with a very different attitude because he's got his cloak over his head and he's saying to the Lord in this humility, God, this is what I feel like, but he's kind of, you know, with his cloak over his head. And at this point, the Lord speaks to him. And up until this point, if you read the passage, it's been the angel of the Lord that's always spoken to Elijah. But at this point, it's actually the Lord himself who speaks to him. And it says, The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha of Saphat from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. And yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Apologies for my massacring some of those words, but um, you see there that Elijah has been physically refreshed. He's gotten with God. He's been honest with God. He's experienced God in that gentle whisper. And it's at this point that God chooses to give him fresh vision. And that's the the final point that I've got this morning, is that another way to restoring our spiritual passion is to receive fresh vision from God. God gives Elijah a fresh task to, to focus on. He tells him where to go, to what to do. He also gives him some encouragement that Abel and Jezebel are going to be overthrown. There's going to be a new king. He's also told him that he's going to have a companion, Elisha, who's going to be with him and serve with him for the rest of his days on earth. And he also encourages him that, in fact, there were 7,000 who never gave in to the spirit of the age. There were 7,000 people who never bowed down to the spirit of the age. And the Lord gives him fresh vision. So going back to that story that I told you about earlier, I can remember night after night just crying in bed and rocking in bed, just going, God, what if it's true? What if it's true? What if it's true? What if it's true? And it was such an awful, awful time. And one of the ways that the Lord restored me spiritually was by giving me fresh vision. Now, we were, I think Lee mentioned this meeting a couple of weeks ago, but we were uh, pastoring Crossway South down in um, the south, southeast in, in Cranbourne, and there was a group of pastors that used to meet together, and they decided to have a week-long uh, nights of prayer, and call it a prayer summit, and they actually appointed our prayer director, who was this beautiful 71-year-old woman, Georgina, into that, that task. And anyway, she asked me if I would come and help her with this, running this week-long prayer summit. And I was like, oh my goodness, that is so risky. <laughs> Because at the time, you know, have, you've all seen Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown has a friend, um, like, no, not Linus, Pigpen. I don't know, Charlie Brown has a friend, Pigpen, and whenever he's drawn, he's got, like, these stink, like, squiggles coming off him, like, these clouds kind of coming off him, that he's, like, exuding this stinkiness, like, Pigpen. And I felt like Pigpen. I felt like, 
you know, I was exuding, I don't know what, the evilness and terribleness was coming off me, that I would walk into a room and the Holy Spirit would flee and God would be like, right, Holy Spirit, like, let's get out of here. Pamela's arrived. Like, it was, it was really, I just, you know, I mean, when you think of it logically, it's very um, egocentric to think that, you know, you yourself controls the, the Holy Spirit. But at that point in my life, that's exactly what I felt like. But she asked me to come alongside her and to help her with this. So it, initially, it was just going to be the group of pastors that meet together to pray. pray. But we decided, you know what, we're going to visit every single church in the area and see if we can get every single one on board. And that meant every denomination, every different language or cultural church on board. And we managed to get them all on board. And initially as well, it was going to be hosted by five different churches in five different venues. But we thought we'd take it a step further. And we thought, you know what we'll do? Those five churches that are hosting the event, they will only host the event. So that means we will bring another church in to lead the worship, a different church again to provide the preaching, and a different church again to facilitate the prayer time. And so it meant that every night four different churches had to be involved, and it was a big ask for a small area. And we, ma we managed to do that, which was an enormous amount of trust that those churches put into us, because you can imagine wild Pentecostal churches, you know, giving up the pulpit to the Anglican minister who arrived in his dog collar to preach, or you can imagine the little, really conservative uh, Pentecostal, uh, uh, sorry, um, Presbyterian church, very conservative, allowing the AOG team to come and take over the worship for that, that night. You can imagine what, what it was like. And yet they did that. And every night, it was amazing what happened. Each night just grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was incredible to, to see. And I remember looking around on, I think it was the fourth night, and seeing all these prayer groups around the room and people who would not normally acknowledge each other, even sometimes as Christians, because they theologically had different opinions and, you know, had different styles of the ways that they worshipped God and the ways that they did church. And yet they were praying together passionately and earnestly as brothers and sisters in Christ to see God move in this area. And it was such a time of healing. So some of these churches, I kid you not, had been openly in the secular media bickering with one another. It was like an open bickering amongst these churches. And yet they came together for this week-long uh, prayer summit. And for me personally, it was such a time of healing because it was such an awful thing that was spoken over me and it just got stuck in my head and for months and months and months went over me. And I looked at all those, those groups praying together and I felt that the Lord said to me, it's not about you, it's about me. It's not about you, it's about me. And I love that we worship the same God because what you were talking about this morning was incredible, that it's about the heart of worship when we stop focusing on ourselves and we say, actually, it's, it's not about me. I don't have to be better than my ancestors. I don't have to be anything. It's about you, Lord. And we start focusing on him. We can start to restore our spiritual passion. 
So I had been super nervous about spending time with God. I'd, I'd still gone to church, I'd still read the Bible, I'd still prayed, you know, superficially. But having that intimate time with God, because I tell you, I was so scared that God was going to say that, that that was true, that, you know, that actually you are pretty rotten, I don't know what to do with you. But after that event, I started to feel that confidence to, to spend that, that time in worship and that time in intimacy be with God and it was completely opposite to what I expected all I felt from him was love that I was his daughter that I was his child and I was loved by him I just want to say to you if you're right now in the place where you are on a spiritual high and your passion for God is going strong I want to tell you that you can always be like that You can always have that spiritual passion no matter what the circumstances. I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. And these stories that the Bible shows are there as warnings for us so that we don't have to fall, just so that we can be careful so that we don't have to fall. But you can always have that spiritual passion. But if you have been in that horrible, horrible valley and you are journeying out of it, I want to encourage you to keep going because God is for you and he wants good things for you but right now if you are in that valley or slipping into it into that place of darkness and you're right down there and maybe you're even like Elijah where you feel like you know what I don't even want to go on I don't even want to go on I just want to say to you just because you're in the valley it doesn't mean You have to stay there. Just because you're in the valley, it doesn't mean that that's where you live now. It just means that you're passing through there. You don't live there. You are passing through. Yes, it doesn't feel like it, but you are just passing through. And it does mean that God wants to come alongside you and restore you and restore your spiritual passion. I want to take you back to that scripture that I read right at the start. From 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages have come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. They're warnings to us that if we think we're standing firm, just be careful that we don't fall, we don't have to fall. But this is followed up with one of my favourite promises of all time. And it goes on to say in verse 13, No temptation has overcome you except what is common to humanity. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. If you're right down in that valley and you feel that you can't endure it anymore, that you can't keep going, God's promise to you is that you can endure it. And I know it doesn't feel like it. I know that that doesn't seem like that's true. But you actually can endure it and his promises are true. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And he will also provide a way out of it. And I love it too that it says, no temptation has overcome you, except what is common. 
Because, you know, we get to hear the story of Elijah, but we don't get to hear the story of what happened with those hundred prophets that were in hiding. All those 7,000 people that refused to bow the knee, they were going through stuff as well. And, you know, it wasn't just Elijah. And no, you know, I don't want to criticise Elijah. I mean, he is Elijah. But I think we can get that mentality like Elijah, that it's just me, it's just me, just me, just me. And then that just robs us of our spiritual passion and, and joy because we think it's only us. As the worship team returns, I really would love for us to be a church who takes people when they're on their spiritual highs and encourages them, doesn't hold them back whatsoever, but encourages them and upholds them to keep going and keep pressing into God. But I also want us to be a church who takes people who are suffering who are in the valley, who feel like they've been robbed of their spiritual passion and without judgment and with the compassion and love of Christ, we want to see them fully restored to their full spiritual passion. As a church, we need to be realistic. We go through highs, we go through lows. We need to be a place of real honesty. Let me just pray before we sing together. Lord, I thank you that you are the God who is in the business of restoring our spiritual passion. I thank you, Lord, so much that you leave these stories in the Bible so that we know that even the most amazing man of God still went through times where he was so low that he just wanted to give up and he felt like the only one. God, I pray for us as a congregation. Lord, I pray that we would not... Um, abandon each other when we feel in that just that rotten awful place Lord but we would work to restore one another Lord I want to ask as well as our responsibility that rather than pulling away from you and pulling away from your people Lord we would take the responsibility and say even though I don't feel like it I don't feel like worship I don't feel like hanging out with positive people at the moment, I feel like worshipping, but Lord, I know it's where I need to be, the safest place where I need to be, in the house of God with your people. And Lord, I want to just thank you so much again that you are in the business of restoring our spiritual passion. And Lord, I want to ask that we would just, in you know, Wherever we are, whether we're on that mountaintop, whether we're sliding to the valley, whether we're crawling our way up with our, by our fingernails, Lord, that we would recognise that you are right alongside us and that you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.